Well, we're in John chapter 14. We're in this series that we've simply entitled The Gospel of John, a biography written by one of Jesus' closest friends, the Apostle John. He writes this for a threefold purpose. He writes it so that people might meet Jesus, that they might get to know Jesus through his miracles and through his messages, and then that they might put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And where we find ourselves is what I would like to say is the darkest hour in all of the Gospel of John. In John chapter 13, Jesus has taken the disciples to the upper room. This is during Holy Week. In fact, this is taking place on what is called Maundy Thursday. This upcoming Thursday where Jesus would institute the Lord's Supper But even more than that, Maundy literally means mandate. It's Mandate Thursday. It is where Jesus would give a new mandate or a new commandment for his disciples to love one another. Now this dark hour is as a result of Jesus saying that he's going to be leaving the disciples. It comes as a result of the apostle Judas betraying Jesus and turning Jesus over to the authorities. It's a dark hour because Jesus now is going to declare that he is going to die. And so the disciples find themselves beat up and broken. Their hopes are being dashed. Their expectations are now all confused. They're shell-shocked and they're living with a great amount of fear and despair. And that's why in John chapter 14 verse 1, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Because they were living in a moment of trouble. Well, let's face it this morning, some of us find ourselves living in moments of trouble. We feel a bit shell-shocked. We feel as if we bought into the hype of Jesus and Jesus has let us down. We're confused. We wonder why it seems like we feel more like losers than winners, And Jesus says to us, not only in verse 1, but he's going to also say it uh, in verse 27, that he wants us not to be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Well, the answer back to Jesus should be, well, how are we supposed to do that? That's great, Jesus, that you give this hallmark card that gives us this hope and assurance that we don't need to be troubled, but what is the answer? Where is the hope? The answer is found in verse 16. You can look in your Bibles or you can look to the screen with me for a moment. This is what Jesus' answer is. The answer to the issue of our hearts being troubled, of us being anxious, of us despairing is here. Jesus says, disciples, Jesus is telling us as a church, I'm going to ask the Father And the Father is going to give you church, is going to give you disciples, is going to give you Christian another helper. That phrase another is in the same manner, a like helper. This helper is going to be the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, equal with God the Son and God the Father, co-equal, co-eternal, God in God. And Jesus says, I'm going to send God and he is going to help you in ways that I can't. Likewise, what Jesus says is because of this helper coming, you will do greater things in my name 
than I even did because the Holy Spirit will dwell within you. Now, that word helper there in the parentheses is the Greek pronunciation or the Greek writing of the word parakletos. Parakletos is one who literally comes alongside of another. Now, the ESV translates it helper, and that's a great way of putting it, one who comes alongside, one who helps another. But that word, parakletos, has multiple uses for it. So I'm appreciative of the Amplified Bible, a translation that amplifies things when it says this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that's what the ESV says, or in other translations, a comforter, an advocate, a counselor, a strengthener, a standby. You see, what the Amplified Bible is doing is showing us how that word parakletos is translated in some of your Bible translations. And all of them are true words. This God the Spirit who's going to come and indwell us is a helper. He's a comforter. He's an advocate. He's a counselor. He's a strengthener and he's one who stands by you. Now, let's understand this word because this is the word that describes the Holy Spirit. What's he going to do? Let's look to the screen. Number one, he's going to come to our aid. If you've ever found yourself broken down on the side of the road, maybe even before cell phones or OnStar, you used to sit there hoping, wishing, and praying someone would stop. Someone would be willing to join you in your trouble and maybe give you a helping hand. The Holy Spirit sees you in your distress and doesn't zoom right by you, but he stops and he enters into your pain, your sorrow, and he helps you. He's a helper. Likewise, he's a comforter. That is one, when you find yourself down and troubled, hurting and broken, this helper is the one who comes and consoles you, comforts you. He is the one that comes and ministers to you in your greatest hour of need. When you are not at your best, the Holy Spirit is there alongside of you. He is not just a helper or a comforter, but he's also an advocate. Parakletos was a legal term. When you were a guilty individual and had to go before a righteous judge, you needed a perikletos who would go alongside of you and represent you to the authorities. The Holy Spirit, we are told, is the one who comes alongside of us. He literally intercedes. He represents. He steps in the place of us to speak on behalf of a righteous judge. The reason why you and I can't do it is we're sinful and we're unrighteous, so we need a holy one to come alongside of us and advocate for us. He's a counselor. He's a counselor. That is, he is one who guides and leads, who gives words of wisdom and instruction. He is one who who corrects and says, this needs to be removed from your life, and you need to add this by guiding into wisdom and in truth. Some this morning need the Holy Spirit to counsel. Still others use the phraseology strengthener or standby. Hey, that's the wrong picture. That's Phil and I lifting weights. <laughs> I am really sorry about that. Yeah, Phil and I have been working out during the week. So I, no, the Holy Spirit is a spotter. If you've ever worked out, 
especially with the heavy weights that Phil and I do, you need a spotter, right? You need someone there who's encouraging you. You're going to take on this big weight, and you're going to try to lift this really heavy weight, and you're not sure you can do it. The spotter is there, and he is there not only to encourage you and to speak words of of power and encouragement into you, but along the way, listen to me, he is there to make sure the weight doesn't kill you. Some of you this morning are trying to live life on your own, and without a spotter, I should have had a picture for this, the weight is on your chest. And you're screaming at the top of your lungs, someone help, someone help. And the Holy Spirit is there and he's saying, I want to spot you. He's a helper, he's a comforter, he's a strengthener, a standby, an advocate, a counselor. This Holy Spirit, listen to me, is the greatest gift that Jesus would ever give us. And he comes and and he's gonna live within us. And I want you to know this parakletos is going to come and he's going to help in three ways. I want you to write the first one down. He is here to help us to make us holy. He is to help us to be holy. Now notice in there that he's going to empower us to do two things. First of all, to believe the right things. Now let's start with this word, empowers. He empowers us to believe the right things. Now, this word empower is a word that literally means to equip, to resource, uh, to allow something that we couldn't do without him. What I'm going to tell you today is within your spiritual life, you will accomplish nothing apart from the Spirit. Let me say that again. You will not accomplish a single thing for God in his kingdom, whether in your life or in the life of those around you, apart from the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. Which begs the question, how involved is the Holy Spirit in my life? And if the Holy Spirit's a whole new thing to you, then you are missing the greatest gift that Jesus would give his followers. You have it. You receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. You are baptized in that spirit and dwelt with that spirit. Now the question is, will you be filled with that spirit on an ongoing basis? Will that be your continual practice? So this Holy Spirit is there. He is there to empower you to do things you couldn't do on your own. And the first one is to believe the right things. Notice verse 17. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. Now, what it doesn't mean is that the Holy Spirit is bringing a new truth. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, the Holy Spirit comes, is he a different truth? The idea here isn't so much that the Holy Spirit is a proposition of truths, meaning a a body of truths, because he himself is, is reminding, which we'll get to in a moment, reminding us of the truth of Jesus, the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to believe the truth, to identify the truth, to pursue the truth, accept the truth, to be able to discern truth from evil, right from wrong. 
And so Jesus is the way. The Holy Spirit is to say Jesus is the only way. And to go after anything but Jesus would be folly. The best way to explain this is that uh, you're walking the streets of a major town. Let's say New York City. And there's a man that's got a little card table there with three cards on the table. You've seen it before. This man is going to scam you out of money through a system called Three Card Monty. And what he's going to do is he's going to show you the three cards. One will be the queen, and the other two will be numbered cards. And he'll say, the job, put your money on the table. I'm going to start moving the cards about, and you're going to get one chance to find the queen. Now, as he's doing that, what the card dealer is going to do is he's going to be moving the cards. He's going to be pointing over there, pointing over there. He's going to have a friend bump into you, do all these things to try to deceive you into not being able to follow where the queen's at. Now, to put this in the world, you and I are living in the world. And the world is saying true happiness, true contentment, true joy is found here. Now, follow with me. And the world starts to distract and the world starts to deceive and all of that. And then we've got the moment of truth. The cards are laid out. We've got to pick one of the three, which one is the queen. And we have no earthly idea. We have been deceived. We're confused. We don't know what to do, but we have to make a choice. The Holy Spirit is within us and he says, listen, it's the one on the left. I want to lead you to truth. It's the one on the left. Don't fall for the folly of all the distractions. Don't fall for all of the counterfeits. You need to choose this. And so how does that work within the Bible? Notice a couple things. First of all, he leads into all truth with regards to what? He helps us to recognize that what Jesus has said is true. Twice in verse 15 and 21 what the Spirit will lead us to is all that Jesus has commanded us. So the Holy Spirit's job is to be, if you will, a heavenly post-it note to us, continually reminding us of what Jesus has taught. And in Romans verse 25, he is going to bring into remembrance all Jesus had said to them. And so what that doesn't mean, listen, is that we can be on cruise control, never in our Bible, never in prayer, and assume that through spiritual osmosis, we're going to know the truth and the Spirit's going to give it to us in our hour of need. No, what we do is we walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, do all that the disciples did. And when Jesus isn't with us, which is every day of our lives, by the way, the Holy Spirit will remind us of the truths of Scripture. But it goes beyond that. Notice he helps us to believe the right things. He helps us to behave the right way. Notice four times in our text. You will see in verse 15, 21, 23, and 24, this phrase, keep my commandments or keep my word. That word keep there is an important one. It means that the Holy Spirit is taking possession of the commands of Scripture even at times if we're unwilling to do so. The Holy Spirit is going to take what we need to know about Jesus and hold on to them so we don't lose them. How many parents have held on to your kids' valuables because they're prone to lose them? Let's see a show of hands. Declare your children as terrible keepers of their things. What the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit says, the precious things that Christ has given us, 
I don't fully trust you in your finiteness and your sinfulness to be able to keep those things on your own. So I'm giving you the Holy Spirit who's going to hold on to these things so you don't lose them. And he is going to bring to remembrance those things. Now, how does that work if we're living a life of sin? Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 15 of a father who has two sons. And the father's a rich father. He's got a wonderful inheritance. And the youngest of the two sons says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance so I can go and enjoy life. And he goes to a far off land and he pursues the life with prostitutes and and the life of sin. And you would think that the father has no reign over his son anymore. Completely rebellious, living for himself, selfish in every way. But if you remember the story in Luke 15, at the height of his rebellion, a light bulb comes on. And the text says, and he remembered. He remembered his father's house. Brothers and sisters, when the Holy Spirit is within us, even in our darkest hour of sin, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and the light bulbs are going off, whether we'll receive them or not, that we start to remember what God was doing for us. Now, how do we make sure that that ministry is happening? Notice in the text, in verse 17, It says the following, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it uh, does not know you, it does not know him, I'm sorry, know him, but you know him, he dwells in you and will be in you. For us to believe and behave the right way, the Holy Spirit needs to be involved in our life, but it goes even farther because in that, I believe with all my heart, the Holy Spirit helps us with a second thing. And that is our happiness. Jesus says in John 10.10, I want to give you life and give it to you in all abundance. And then he tells us in subsequent chapters that that abundant life is found in keeping his commands. If the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us, resources, equips us to keep his commands... And if by keeping his commands, we can receive the abundant, happy life, a life true of God's fulfillment and goodness in our lives, then the Holy Spirit is the key to our happiness. But in order for that to happen, we need to do some things. First of all, we need to hang out with the Spirit. We need to hang out with the Spirit. So here are the disciples, and I wonder if one of them is thinking back to John chapter 10 and going, I don't feel very abundant. You preach this great game, you talk this wonderful idea, and now Judas has betrayed you, the authorities are coming, you're talking about leaving, and now you're talking about dying, and listen, all I am is I'm troubled, I'm discontented. I'm left without hope. And Jesus says, 
Though the world doesn't know who I'm going to give, you will know who I'm about to give. That is, you can have happiness, even though the world can't. It tries to, but it can't. You can have real, lasting, and true happiness in this world because the Holy Spirit dwells in you, notice verse 17, and will be in you. You should underline that word, dwell with you and in you. That's totally different than Jesus. Jesus was with them. Jesus, in fact, made his dwelling with them, but he wasn't in them. The Holy Spirit, listen, is like having Jesus not at your side, but within you. You have more of Jesus through the Spirit, listen to me, than the disciples did when they walked alongside of him. Let me say that again. Because of the Spirit, you have more of Jesus in you than the disciples had Jesus along with them. Now, how do we make sure? You're like, well, wait a minute. And the disciples are like, I I don't feel like the Spirit of God is living in me. What's that feel like? What, what, what does that look like? Well, it involves hanging out with the Spirit to make a dwelling for the Holy Spirit. The idea here is this. You make a home in your life for the Holy Spirit. So let's think of it this way. I invite you into my home. And I say, listen, you don't have anywhere to go. I want you to come into my home I want my house to be your house. But here are the ground rules. Don't touch my TV. Don't touch my refrigerator. The bathrooms are off limits. And if you think you can use any of the tools in my garage, you've got another thing coming. How at home are you going to feel? Not very at home at all. Can I contend this morning that some of us are doing that with the Holy Spirit. We see the hymn, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. You are the potter, I am the clay. But Holy Spirit, stay out of my entertainment, stay out of my checkbook, stay out of my computer, stay out of my calendar, stay out of my circle of friends, stay out of what I say or what I do, but have your way. Enjoy the home. Make yourself at home in my life. Some of you have said to the Holy Spirit, that closet that has a bunch of padlocks that my wife doesn't know about, my kids don't know about, my boss, my church, my small group, you stay out of that Holy Spirit, but have your place. Do you see the imbalance that is there? For some of us, we are inviting the Holy Spirit in and then closing off major parts of our lives and we have the audacity to sing, the audacity to believe that the Holy Spirit will make his dwelling in us. It won't happen. And because of that, because of that, we wonder why we're troubled. Because of that, we wonder why we're not at peace. We wonder why we're filled with dread and concern. I like what one individual, a preacher, put it this way with regards to hanging out with the Spirit. He says, the Spirit-filled souls are ablaze for God. They love with a love that glows. They serve with a faith that kindles. They serve with a devotion that consumes. Here's the kicker. They hate sin with fierceness 
that burns. How much do you hate the sin in your life and in my life because all it does is puts a do not enter part in your dwelling or in your house to the Holy Spirit? Do you hate it so much that you long for the Holy Spirit to be a part of every fabric and detail of your life that any sin that would keep you from allowing the Holy Spirit to have full reign that you're willing to get rid of? You and I will never be truly happy in this world until we allow the Holy Spirit, listen, into every part of our lives. Every part. But the disciples are sitting there going, wait a minute. That's great, Jesus, but you're leaving and we need you and we're troubled. So again, they say, he says to the disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. And notice what Jesus says in verse 27. Jesus says, peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so what is going on here is that the Holy Spirit, yes, leads us to happiness. We need to dwell with the Holy Spirit, of which the disciples have not done yet. And so there's a reason why they're troubled. Listen to me very carefully, troubled uh, folks in this place. I will directly connect your troubled heart with your lack of dwelling in the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus says, with the Holy Spirit comes peace. I'm going to give you a peace that the Apostle Peter says passes and transcends all understanding that will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. When you are hanging out with the Spirit, you are then able to hold on to the Spirit when the troubled waters of life come your way. The same word, listen to me very carefully, the same word peace that Jesus declares to the troubled hearts of the disciples is the same word, the exact same word Jesus used to calm the stormy waters. And Jesus is saying that peace that calmed the waters is in you now to calm your life. Max Lucado put it this way. He said the following. He says, you have a God who hears you. Can you amen that? Amen. You have the power of love behind you. Can you say amen to that? The Holy Spirit within you. I got one person saying amen. I appreciate you. You have all of heaven ahead of you. Amen? You've got a shepherd, right? Amen? You've got all of that going for you. Therefore, Max Lucado says, you have grace for every sin, direction for every turn, a candle for every corner, an anchor for every soul. Listen to me, brothers and sisters in Christ. You have everything that you will need. Why? Because peace I give you. Peace that's not like the world gives. A peace that transcends all all understanding. So why are you troubled? Why are you anxious? Why are you discontented? Why are you downtrodden and brokenhearted? God has put inside you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you would allow that to fan into a flame, 
then nothing, listen to me folks, nothing will get in our way. So, the disciple, I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit helps to make us holy. He's the parakletos, the one who helps us to find real happiness. Finally, the Holy Spirit helps to bring us home. Early in this chapter, Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for us. And while Jesus is going to prepare a place for us, he has given us something to be busy with. Jesus, when he left, gave us the job, twofold job, to become like him so that the world might see him. So that we might go and make disciples to a lost and needy world around us. And so while Jesus is preparing his place in glory, we are to be preparing our place for glory as well. So that when Jesus comes, he will find us faithful and true. In order to do that, listen to me, you won't be able to do that apart from the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit, God will be faithful to bring you from where he started with you to the place of completion. For I am convinced, uh, the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to see it to the day of completion. God the Father isn't doing that work. God the Son isn't doing that work. It is the Holy Spirit, even though we don't give him much props for it, it is the Holy Spirit that guarantees you will be ready to meet your maker one day. Therefore, If that is true, then notice what Jesus says. I'm not leaving you, verse 18. I'm not leaving you as orphans. Orphans, what are orphans like? They're troubled, they're anxious, they're fearful, they're doubting, and they are determined to do it on their own. Jesus has not left us as orphans, friends. Jesus has placed the spirit of the living God within you. He has given you the same power that raised Christ from the dead, is at your disposal at every moment, in every circumstance. And if that is the case, why is it that we act like losers instead of victors? Why is it that we act like orphans as if there is no God instead of the God who resides within us that we would act as if what the Apostle Paul says with the knowledge that no weapon formed against us will ever prosper? Do you think that's because you're strong or because by the gift of Jesus Christ himself he has put in you the spirit that is greater than the spirit that's in the world? So we need to act like victors, not like losers. We need to act like conquerors, not the defeated, because we have the spirit of God. We are the sons and daughters of the most high gods, not helpless orphans without any help in mind. That leads us to stop living one way. Now we start living with a heavenly optimism. In verse 28, You have heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father. uh, Going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. 
And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. He's about to die. But notice what he says. I'm going to die, but I'm coming back. And that promise, and we're going to see this in one week, that promise is true. The promise that Jesus makes on Thursday remains true on Friday and Saturday because of Sunday. Now that same, listen to me, that same Jesus says he's going to prepare a place for you and I. And if he goes to prepare a place for you and I, then he will one day come back to take us with him. That means whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're struggling with, we can have hope, joy, and peace. Because the one who promised is faithful. And because the Holy Spirit lives within us, You and I should live with a heavenly optimism, no matter the turmoil, no matter the difficulty. Yeah, life may be hard, but the one who said he was going to die says he's going to come back. Amen? And so we walk in the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit until that day. We delight in the Spirit. And we're reminded of this truth by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, where he says the following. He says, without the Spirit... We can do nothing. We are ships without wind, chariots without steeds. We're like branches without sap. We're withered. Like coals without fire, we are useless. We are as if we are an offering without the sacrificial flame. We are unaccepted. Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? It can be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the greatest gift that Jesus will ever give those whom he saves. And if you have not found Jesus, then you cannot have the Holy Spirit. And apart from the Holy Spirit, you and I will do nothing. So let us receive the Spirit through the Savior. And let us live and walk and dwell with that Spirit so that everything we say and do will bring glory to the great name of our Father in heaven. Amen.